Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Laurie Kilmartin produced one of the best stand-up specials of 2016, 45 Jokes About My Dead Dad, streaming exclusively on CISO.com. Kilmartin is a writer on Conan, a former finalist on Last Comic Standing, and the New York Times bestselling co-author of Shitty Mom. You can hear her on the Nerdist podcast, The Jackie and Laurie Show, with Jackie Cation, where they talk about their lives as working comedians. But right now... You can hear Lori talk to me in depth about working through motherhood, tragedy, and everything else. So let's get to it! Yeah, so Lori Kilmartin. Sorry I'm late, giving you time to record an intro. I I apologize. No, I I never accuse you of being too late or too soon. (laughs) I was, uh, I stopped and had my, uh, Lunch by myself, I had steak and wine, and it was delightful. It's oh. becoming my new New York tradition is to have steak and wine by myself someplace. Now, uh, my producer, Alex Rizell, and I were talking. It seems as though any time Conan is, is on break, you're back here. in here. <laughs> <laughs> have you thought about petitioning Conan to move the show back? I think the whole show has. <laughs> Everyone. Um, right, because, yeah. it, because most everyone who is with him for his late night run moved when, moved from New York to Burbank. Yeah. Well, I think everyone who did that sold their places mm-hmm. and so returning would be a <laughs> horrific shock. But for you, <laughs> it'd, be it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. If only they would just consider my feelings, I would mm-hmm. appreciate. Actually, my kid is uh established in California school system, so now I would, you know, it would be it would be rough on him. Right. I mean, everything's going charter school now anyhow. You're right. You know what? He can deal. The new, the new success de- academy. The new Department of Education secretary <laughs> doesn't even right. like school. Yeah, she, he's going to have a job soon. Apparently, <laughs> she wants to put kids back to work. So, good. Uh, but enough about your kid. Let's talk about you. Um, Finally, that's that's why I want every conversation to go. So uh, you know, I've already put it in print and I've said it out loud that uh, your special forty five jokes about my dead dad was one of the best. Specials of 2016. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate that. Now, I've followed you on Twitter for far longer than that. Yeah. Um, was there a sense of, I mean, you live tweeted going through hospice and, and death with your father. Mm-hmm. But was there a sense of, like, holding on to the special for a while just to give it some some space? Or was it more of a logistical um, you mean when it was released or when I taped it? Well, when it was released, because it's been... It's been two years. It's been two years. Uh, so that was, was just, that a too soon or was that no? No, that was a entirely? somebody please buy it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And Come then, on, it's about death. I know. I, you'd think they'd be jumping all over it. But um, actually, uh, Chris Italia and the guys at Angry Buddha uh, liked the stand-up and they mm-hmm. said, why don't we add this other stuff to give it some context? So... It's interviews with me, my sister, my mom, and with Conan O'Brien and Pat right. Oswald and Andy Kindler, who were sort of uh, talking about the tweeting and stuff. Right. I guess just to help people uh, open the door to this very dark room you're going to enter. Well, it also lets people know about your dad. Yeah, I guess so. So it's yeah. not just some abstract, these are jokes about. True, true. This is who I'm talking about. Yeah. And this is, <laughs> well, just like with yeah. any roast. 
Yeah, yeah, that's With true. With a celebrity roast, yes. you already know this, the guest of honor. Right, right. And it's all in, in, done in love. We right. love this, this, this celebrity, but we're going to roast them and yeah. mock them. Yeah, that's true. It was, uh, it this was just some comedian's father. Right, right, right. Um, I guess it did introduce people to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it works in a way. Like, I wasn't expecting all that, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I just, in fact, my, I was, kind of adamant like no it's just stand up and stand up can handle death i was my you know and 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 i didn't want to be a one-person show Mm -hmm. and i didn't want to be too earnest i wanted it to have a lot of dick jokes and you know just like a a nightclub comedy act and um and but that wasn't no one was buying it and so um i think they turned it into something different Mm -hmm. that's really good you know uh so i i'm glad that they you know I surrendered. <laughs> well, and we also to... see that your dad was on board with everything. Yeah, 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 for sure. What, I mean, what, yeah. what, what did he think about your comedy in 1986? Um, he thought it was a little dirty, but mm-hmm. it, that was just his, I mean, he loved me on stage and the fact that I did stand up. He thought it was really cool. And he was a consulting engineer, so he sort of led um, as close as an engineer could lead to a comedy lifestyle, mm-hmm. which is always looking for the next gig. And... Um, you know, trying to get paid. <laughs> um, so, so in that way, he kind of identified with stand up and, um, you know, he was, but he's super Catholic. So he, he always, you know, preferred cleaner material. And he also h- hated it when I said like and um, that was, those were his two critiques. <laughs> if I ever got any, you say, you say um too much. That's a, that's a, that's a good critique, whether you're a comedian or just a person. Sure. In but conversation. I, I would say, uh. And you're, you've been doing quite well so far. <laughs> I just, I think you interrupted me right when I said, uh, <laughs> President Obama <laughs> says it. <laughs> Obama does that all the time, you know? And they actually read a study where they said that's the mark of intelligence. Be- a mark mm-hmm. is because people are thinking of the right thing to say and you're using um as a, a, a bridge to give yourself a little t- bit of time. Right. Not that I'm saying I'm smart, but I'm, that would be a study I would show my dad where he here. Well, you want to choose your today. words carefully. Sure. Yeah. It's just like diarrhea of the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll save that for the stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said, uh, that your dad, your dad thought you were dirty. Like I went back and looked at your headshots. Your first one was 1986. Yeah, says so 30 years. Yeah, in comedy. Yeah, uh, you were dirty when you when you first started. I no, I wasn't. But if oh. you're a Catholic male from mm-hmm. Kansas, I was dirty. Okay. <laughs> you know, from from his point. Wait, of view. were you a Catholic? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't really know enough of your backstory, Lori. <laughs> uh, Wait, so you're from Kansas? No, my dad was. Okay. I'm saying from his point of mm-hmm. view, you know, anything anything to talk about. Any, any discussion about sex was right. a little bit risque. Yeah. But, he, you know, he just said it lovingly. He kind of knew mm-hmm. I was just a different generation and his words were falling on ignored ears. Did you have a pl- did you have to have like a plan B uh Career-wise, for your for your parents, um, no, I didn't. I, were... I, I had like a nervous breakdown in college, so I think they were glad that I wasn't, you know, more fucked up, mm-hmm. <laughs> and were relieved that I found something. Um, and then I started in at the end of a boom, and right. so I was making a little bit of money. I mean, there was tons of MC work. You know, I worked all the time. I started in San Francisco, and when I started. There were 13 full-time comedy clubs within driving range, if you counted Citrus Heights, you know, and the clubs down in San Jose. So there was a, you know, I was making two, three hundred a week, you know, which wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think they, 
you know, I don't know what they thought, but they weren't worried that I was, that I needed a backup plan. Okay. Yeah. They weren't like, if you don't make it as a comedian in three years, become an accountant or. No, 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 no. Or go into teaching. Or, no. They, okay. yeah, my dad was like, he's, he was one of those guys that would be, you could be president, you know, <laughs> or you could be comedian or what? He, he was very mm-hmm. positive. I mean, and he also, he had pie in the sky dreams about his own consulting career. You know, like he wanted to start a company that I'm sure would have turned into the next Bechtel or something, but that wasn't his, it ended up being not his personality, but, um, he, you know, he, he understood sort of working and trying to do your own thing. Okay. So you mentioned nervous breakdown in college, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which yeah. I feel I can't just let slide completely. Come on, let that slide. Everyone's had that. I'm, I can't be the only one that had a nervous breakdown in college. <laughs> I feel like I'm still I'm still on the verge of mine right now. <laughs> you got to have one. You got to have one. You can't get through your life without one. Well, for me, down. it's going deciding to leave a career and going into business for myself. Yes. You know, I've been doing the. I left the newspaper business nine years ago. Wow. And maybe a couple of years ago, I started to think, what am I? <laughs> did I really make the right? What am I well, doing? Well, there. I mean, y- you but, did. I mean, there is no newspaper business <laughs> unless you work for the Washington well, Post, who's sponsored by Bezos. You know, other, otherwise, right. there's no business, right? But see, I was hitting, you know, my 40s. I was hitting, yeah, you know, that middle age life crisis that's sure. expected. When you're a teenager, it's not as expected. Your college is supposed to be the best time. Oh of yeah. Your life. Well, I had some like. Where did you go to college? I went to UCLA. Okay. So I dropped out my freshman year. And then I was going to go back, but I just couldn't get it together. And, um, and what, then I started, oh, go ahead. What were you studying? Uh, drama. Okay. <laughs> and so and you then knew. I created a scene. <laughs> They're like, no, <laughs> for the class, not for life. Yeah. And, uh, so I was just sort of hanging out in the Bay Area, living with my parents and, uh, just, you know, I, I was a competitive swimmer and I quit swimming and I gained 60 pounds and I was just like, Oh my God, what happened? And, um, then I just started going to stand up shows and that's when I kind of decided I wanted to try that. And then that's, do you remember who, that. do you remember what show you were watching that made you um, think about that? I think a couple, there was a combination of like seeing Dana Carvey work in comedy clubs before he was on SNL. Right. Um, Paula Poundstone, uh, Bobby Slayton, uh, Carrie Snow was around then. There was a lot of like really great headliners in, in uh, San Francisco, Warren Thomas, um, uh, Bobcat, Bob Rubin, those guys. And then, then there was like the newer ones, the newer comics that were okay. And I, I think I remember seeing a female comic who wasn't very good and she's getting work. And I was like, oh, I can beat her. <laughs> like and when I saw those other guys, I didn't think, oh, I could beat them. Right. You know, I was like, well, how do they do that? And then when she was just okay, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I can, I can do better than her. It's like, that's what got me into comedy. <laughs> that's what convinced me to try yeah. stand up. Oh, really? I was at an open mic in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing improv and I love doing improv. Yeah. And I never thought about stand up at all. And then I went with some of the guys to an open mic and I was like, Oh, I could do that. An open mic will make, yeah. What, what, <laughs> I, I like to that. meet the asshole who, who sees Carlin and then thinks they can go into comedy because you think you're better than Carlin, but no. it, going to an open mic will, <laughs> will set your brain free and, <laughs> and you can oh, dream big. <laughs> this is all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so starting in, in the mid eighties in that, in that previous comedy boom. Yeah. Was it, was it as easy as it seems 
now that it was when people talk about the the comedy boom of the eighties? Um, there was a ton. Was of, it actually easy to jump in? There was a ton of stand up. There was a ton of open mics. Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, I think the hard part was the actual stand up part. You mm-hmm. know, and once you started doing open mics, it, I think it's kind of like that now too. I mean, where pe- you you can find out about other ones and everyone shows up. Now there was a lot less competition, and they didn't have bringer shows, and um, you know, you could have an open mic in Petaluma and real people would show up to it instead of just friends of the comics or the other comics. So in that way, in that way it was easier, you know, stand up wasn't so it was brand new. Right. Like I know listening to you and Jackie, you were talking in a recent episode about how the kids these days all have grown up in front of cameras or their camera phones. And so they all have much more stage, stage presence, presence yes. as young comedians yeah, yeah, yeah. than than you might have. I definitely and I and I also think um you know like I was raised doing one nighters and so I, I I always feel like when I look at younger comics they um there's a gentleness that they might have that I I lack because <laughs> I when I was raised you you just w- didn't want to get hit. Right. <laughs> you know I feel like I was I'm almost like a battered child as a comic or and that's how I'll always be. I don't know how to change it and I and I sort of envy that that sort of Going up on stage and expecting respect from the audience, which wasn't how it was when I started. You had to, um, you know, they, they, they were just looking for ways to tear you down instantly, especially if you're a woman. So I just, I envied that sort of, um, expectation. You have a higher expectation of the crowd and they sort of give it to you. Right. There, you expect it. There are people touring now who didn't start touring and selling tickets. Until first establishing themselves with Vine or Instagram or podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now they already have that audience built in. Yeah. Whether or not they have jokes. Yeah. They still have people who want to come see them. Sure. Whereas doing, whereas doing a one nighter, you're dealing with beer bottles and jukeboxes and sports on the TV. Yeah. Yeah. All the competition. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, and then you coming from uh California to Montana and you know arms cross. <laughs> you know, just all that kind of like provincial stuff. Right. And again, this is maybe it's not that way now, but this is the way it definitely was in the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah, I and I get the sense that when whenever there's these talking head debates about women in comedy, it always kind of goes back to what it what people had this perception of as being a woman in comedy in the 80s, I think. I think so, yeah. Instead of what it's like now. Yeah, it's so strange to me that that's, that even, that bur- that kind of bubbles up every couple of years again. Yeah. And then there has to be a, somebody comes up with their list of their favorite comics. Like, oh, can we just, you don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> you know, it's, um, but I mean, obviously if you can attribute it to Christopher Hitchens, right. you know, who wrote a Vanity Fair article. Um, what was it called? Women are funny or, yeah, or something like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't know. It just seems so irrelevant, but it's, it's, it's definitely clickbait. Right. For sure. But in terms of like doing a lot of retrospective on 2016, you know, I can't help but think about how it was a year in which women were empowered and yet also put back in their place. I know. Both in life and in comedy. Yeah. I mean, we started the year with, with a comedian. 
going on Instagram about an ex-boyfriend. Oh yeah. And then uh, we and then mm-hmm. we had a, a comedian over the summer accused of of rape by or sexual assault by several females in yeah. in the business. And right, then, right. And then at the end of the year, there's another there was another debate raging about someone. I saw somebody. It was a guy comic saying he wasn't guilty of something. That was like, that, that was, was a going defense. on in his yeah. community. Yeah. So uh. it's like. <laughs> But, but, but it's gotta be such a light, such a a galactic change from 30 years ago. Oh my God. Yeah. When I can't imagine what it. Yeah. You got raped for stage time. (laughs) No, it, it, um. I mean, 30 years ago, we were still talking about, I mean, not you and I, we, but I mean, the industry was talking about casting couches as a legitimate. Oh yeah. It was a joke. Yeah. It was like, I assumed that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in terms of. Well, that that's just a separate interesting thing, you know, mm-hmm. that within the community, you know, people that are being treated like that are talking and speaking up about it, right. you know, and not being kicked out of the business, you know. <laughs> um it's great. Uh it's 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 really different from when I started where you just, you know, assumed something awful was going to happen to you and you tried to work around it. You know, if, if you're like, oh, I'm not going to participate in that, then how am I going to mm-hmm. get stage time? I'll have to go this way. I'll have to just go left instead of straight through. And without social media, how are you bonding with other, were you bonding with other women in comedy? No, or? I mean, that's part of Jackie, Jackie Cation and I have this wet, uh, have a podcast. Right. We are, we, our careers track almost, they mirror so much. We started almost the same time. We're, we're almost exactly the same age. I'm four days older than she is. And, um, we had it. We barely knew each other, and I, I barely knew Kathleen Madigan or Felicia Michaels or Karen Rontowski, uh, Jill Turnbull. All these comics that were we were never allowed to work together, you know. And the clubs would pat themselves on the back if they had two female features a year, mm-hmm. you know. I, I, yeah, I didn't know anybody, and um, I didn't know any other female comics. And then every once in a while, they do a woman show, and you, everyone hated it, you know. But you're not gonna. You know, that would just be in your local town. So it'd be the female comics you knew, but it definitely wasn't the road comics and we're going to fly in for a Monday night, you know, in San Francisco. So, right. so was it really a, a lonely existence? For terribly the first lonely, terribly lonely. And I was, t- I was so addicted to AOL. It was two ninety five a minute. <laughs> I mean, excuse me, an hour. Do you remember that? <laughs> when they had, when they first started? The discs? Yeah, it was yeah. two ninety five an hour and I would be on the road with dudes and just, I'm not going to go drinking with them. I mm-hmm. didn't do any of that stuff. And I would go back to my hotel room and go in the chat rooms, you know, and I was so lonely. I spent so wasted so much of my amazing feature money <laughs> on AOL hourly fees. When, yeah. did, when did things start to change emotionally or financially? Well, you? when I moved to New York, um, it, it, I had to get a job. And so I, I had enough HTML coding skills to mm-hmm. get work in, in like 1999. They paid $25 an hour. Okay. To code HTML, which is ridiculous now. But, um, so that was my day job. And, um, that was the first time I'd led like I would consider an adult life where I, had, I, I wasn't living with my parents. Mm-hmm. I had, I lived in, um, Park Slope, uh, with two women and one of them was a part-time prostitute. 
and the other was a graphic designer. I mean, I, I hope it's part time. I mean, aren't all prostitutes part time? That was my, it was my, it turned into my first New York joke was my roommate is a prostitute and a temp. That's how expensive New York City is. <laughs> Turning tricks isn't enough money. You have to know Word and Excel. That was like my first opening where I had an opening joke where I was mm-hmm. a New Yorker and I had a joke about New York City and, and uh, for for like a year, I was just floundering right. trying to figure these people out because it was so different from the road, you know. Um, and then I, I you start to get a couple of New York jokes. I live here. I've been through this. And the audience is at least half New Yorkers. And they kind of accept you. And then then you can get but wait a second. building from there. You said this was 1999? Yeah. But you were a new face in Montreal. No one gives it in no one cares. No, no one cared back then. <laughs> As they but don't I, care want, now. I want to establish these facts oh, so yes. people listening can go, wait a second, she was a new face in Montreal. I was a new face. In 1998? I think, 98. I think that's what your website Yeah, yeah, me. 98, because I moved to her in, and then you in moved- January 99, yeah. So you were hot off the buzz of Montreal. Oh yeah, waiting for the. And you offers. got a day job. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Well, I got off because the this road. is the real story. I mean, people have these ideas in their heads of what a comedy career is. Yeah, I spent the first ten years either open micing or then getting enough feature work to just getting as much feature work as I mm-hmm. could. I lived with my parents. I paid a car bill, which is like two sixty two oh two a month, and then I paid. My Kaiser healthcare, which is like 148 or something a month. That's it. And then I, then I just saved money, you know, and just spent it on coffee or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, uh, and then when I decided to move to New York and just plant myself there and kind of, uh, remake myself into a New York comic instead of a road comic, that's when I got my first day job. Okay. And I kept, and I kept that until I got hired at Tough Crowd. So I've had day jobs ever since I moved to New York. Um, but they turned into writing jobs after, after Tough Crowd. When you got the, in the gig at Tough Crowd was, what was your title there? Writer. Writer. Yeah. And when you got hired by Colin, mm-hmm. did you know that you wouldn't need a day job anymore or did you just feel I like you were it. done? I kept it. I kept coding on the side mm-hmm. just in case. And plus I had some things lined up and, um, that I wanted to finish. But I, y- yeah, yeah. You never feel safe as in a writing job. <laughs> you're, you're an idiot if you do. <laughs> you know, shows get canceled, or right. you know, you don't. You stop clicking with somebody. You know, so. Well, thankfully, you're a Conan now. So that's, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> that seems more out of all the shows. I think that seems the most cohesive. It has the least group. amount of turnover. Yeah, yeah, it's a good place to be. Yeah, yeah, and and you're you're on a funny show with the funniest guy in the world. Yeah. You know, it sucks when you're on a show with someone who's not that funny. And, <laughs> and I've done a few of those too. And, and you're you just like, Oh, you know, who do you write for? Uh, it, you probably haven't seen, like you don't, <laughs> you don't mention it. Cause you're sort of, you know, mm. how does that impact the actual writing when you don't like your, the boss whose voice you're writing for? Oh, um, it's, it's weird. It's, it, it kind of doesn't in a way. I mean, you kind of figure out the style you're writing for, mm-hmm. and then you just try to do the best job. So it just becomes like a job then. In a way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this person needs to say this at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's more. What it, would this person say? Yeah, okay. it's it, it, how how yeah their voice and their style. But but what makes it fun is if you like the person and they make you laugh and you. You know, there's been people I've worked for where I felt like I was funnier than them, and it, that makes you <laughs> resentful, you know? But right. I don't feel like I'm funnier than Conan O'Brien. <laughs> I'm, like, happy to be in the same room, so it's fun. I, I Like, I 
I get, you know, when we get like a free Conan show every single day while he prepares for the show, it's an hour of Conan and Andy just kind of warming up, I guess, but batting, you know, just riffing off of each other in front of the, the writers. And, you know, it's, it's really funny (laughs) and no one else gets to see it. So how did it feel then to to see the resulting interviews that he gave for your special? That was I was couldn't believe that, you know. I um I yeah, I was really overwhelmed that he would even do that. I mean, he's super busy. So we took time out of his day to talk to those guys and he just said really really nice stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was very overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, you also have a lot of perspective uh in the business because you're also a mother mm-hmm. and 2016 was a year in which we saw two comedians, Kira Sotanovich yeah. and Ali Wong both put out our special while, while, while they were seven pregnant, months pregnant, while, yeah. pregnant yeah. while they were pregnant, which yeah. was amazing. Yeah. So what, you know, in that, you know, you hear them and I've talked to other comedians talk about what it's like to have a kid in the business, but yeah. what was it like for you? Um, it was, like the pregnancy was really interesting. I wasn't trying to get pregnant. And so it was an accident. So I figured I'd have a miscarriage. So I didn't get really too, <laughs> cause I was, 40. Think, I was like, this is going away. Figured. So, but I, but I was I like, drink oh, this all is the interesting. time. <laughs> it's kind of like, <laughs> I'm always falling down <laughs> Exactly. Um, so it was sort of interesting and I just, it was, you know, I kind of didn't feel like it was real. So I, I would talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then as, as, um, you know, the, the baby stayed, <laughs> remained in utero. And grew. Yeah. And it's still, yeah, yeah. It's presence known. <laughs> it still felt like a, just an interesting thing to talk about, mm-hmm. you know? And then when I actually was, a baby was put in my arms, I was like, Oh my God, what have I done? This is crazy. You know, did you go through any of the process of like having to deal with bookers and trying to rationalize with people that, okay, I'm having a baby, but I'm still a comedian. I still tell jokes and I don't know. I mean, this doesn't change. I I don't think they ever tell you to your face why you're not getting hired. You know, I, I know that I heard from, I heard two things from the, through the grapevine. One, I was working on a website and they were going to offer me the head writing job, but Mm -hmm. they didn't because I had a kid. Hmm. And the other was, um, and that's just through a third party. Right. So you couldn't said, go to the EEOC yeah, yeah, yeah. about it. And I wouldn't, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and then the other was, uh, that's why my, uh, agent dropped me. So, huh. You know. Yeah. I mean, you, you, there's people, people will, you know, <laughs> assume for you that you're done. Which is, which for me, that's like, oh yeah, oh really? Okay then, let's see. I'm making more money now than I ever have. Right. And, um, you know, my agent's making, yeah, she's making it, my current agent's making a reasonable commission and, um, things are okay, you know? Is that how, is that how you came back from, from being dropped? Um, was that, was it all that? It was kind of that attitude of like, yeah. You know, I'll put myself out of this business. <laughs> I'm not gonna let the industry I'll let my do, jokes it. do it. Yes, exactly. I'll write myself out of comedy. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, it does help to have that sort of um, uh, fuck you attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, how logistically did you come back well, after, after giving birth? I mean, I, I I took my kid on the road 
many times mm-hmm. when I was doing road work. When I was between writing jobs, I took them on the road. And it cost a lot of money. I had to, there was this, I remember there was a sitter service. And I don't know what it's like now. There's probably some app that will figure it out for you. But there was a service that, you know, you you could, um, wherever you went to a city, you could hire a sitter mm-hmm. that had been registered with them. And so I did that a bunch of times. So I just have a had a lady with four stars come to my hotel room and I go do two shows, you know. Yeah. Um, and it worked out okay. It costs a lot of money, you know? Um, and then, then the other part, and I was, it's weird. I was talking to Kira about this cause she, she had just had her second kid and she took her baby with her on the road. And, you know, if you're doing two shows on Friday, you really need 10 hours sleep <laughs> because you're going to do two shows on Saturday. Right. You know, you need, you need all your energy. And the hard thing about having a small kid with you on the road is, they wake up whenever they wake up and you, you're the only person there. So you can't hand them off to somebody. Right. I told Kira, I'm like, get a sitter to come. You know, if your show starts at eight, get the sitter to come at five and pay the extra couple, $15 an hour, right. the extra 30, just so you can have some silence before you have to give out all of that energy to two crowds, you know? Right. You need a buffer. You do. You need a little piece. And, um, you know, of course, when I was, on the road as a feature, it was all peace. <laughs> um, so I, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I just, I remember I was working at Ann Arbor, the Ann Ar- Arbor Comedy Club, and I had my kid with me and he's like one and a half and we went to museums and stuff during the day, but I was so fucking tired and I, you know, I just didn't, I didn't get more than two or three myself. hours I of sleep. Imagine. I know. Yeah. And then, um, when I got another day job, then I put him in daycare and I would, you know, get a sitter at night when I had spots. That's it. And how old was, was your son when you did last comic? He was, um, two and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What compelled you to jump into that fray? Or three and a half, excuse me. Um, cause oh, they've been around for a while. Yeah. Uh, I, I, oh, I had just been fired from the Bonnie Hunt show. Oh. And there's nothing else happening. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have an agent, you know, he'd are, it's like, oh, I'm, I, I didn't know what to, I'm, I'm 40, well, let's see, what would be I, 43, 44 in show business mm-hmm. with a child, no agent and just got fired. I was like, I'm dead. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead, you know? And, um, oh, and no relationship because my, my son's father and I had split up. So. So it, you really were kind of a, broken felt, alone. Yes. I was like, I'm going to be moving back with, in with my parents, you know, so I had nothing to lose. Did that, did that fuel you to perform even harder or better on the show? Um, knowing how, knowing kind of what was at stake? No, it, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> I wanted to do well, you mm-hmm. know, and so it made me really focus on writing clean jokes instead of jokes I really thought were funny. So, right, because you're on NBC. So you yeah, and they're, they're just nixing jokes left and right, and you're, you're like, you've left me with three things. <laughs> um, so uh, it, that was very stressful, you know. Um, and that's that's the hard thing about that show is is you have to really change to fit in what they with what they want, you know. Even if you say, "Oh, I'm gonna be my real self," you, you know, you have to turn your jokes into NBC, and then they just start crossing them out. It's line item veto, you know, and you're like, okay, I'm either going to do a five minute set with three jokes or I write some other stuff or I kind of dumb this down or water this down. And then it's not exactly the set you wanted it to be. Did you feel like it was, it was what you expected though? Probably knowing a ton of comedians who had done the show before. 
Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't surprising. Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get anything from it. I didn't get a manager from it. I didn't get all the things, which, and I don't know if that's an age thing. I, I really didn't know what, like, everyone else in the top 10 got management and they got this and that and that. And I didn't get anything, you know? And I was like, is this because I'm an old woman? Maybe, or maybe mm-hmm. not. I don't know. No one tells you. <laughs> no one tells you why you're not getting anything. That's the most frustrating thing about. Right. You want to know. Yeah. I mean, and you, and if it is something correctable, they will tell you. So if it's not, you know, if it's a, well, you know, we, we like our women 32 years old, <laughs> but they can't tell you that. So they just don't tell you anything. Right. You know, so. Well, well then how did you get to Conan? Cause I thought you got to Conan not too long after. Yeah, but that was. T- just a separate thing completely. I had oh. done two packets for them and I mm-hmm. think um I was like on the docket to get hired at the Tonight Show and the Tonight Show went went down right as Bonnie Hunt got I got fired from Bonnie Hunt. Mm-hmm. So um so he was he at the same time I was sort of floating around Conan was too oh, okay. trying to figure out what he was going to do and then we started the show at TBS and I heard again that they were hiring and so I did another packet and that that helped. Right. Well, I mean, if you if you think back to everybody you were on the show with, they might have all gotten representation and, mm-hmm. and deals, but you've gotten steady work. Oh, I'm totally, since, I'm so totally happy like, with things how it worked out for you. Oh, yeah, it totally worked out fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, you know, I, my complaints are like, you know, they're I can complain about anything. They're my, <laughs> they're in the scheme of things. They don't mm-hmm. matter. But I, I am. I just notice, you know, that that. I was like, well, the thing that's different about me that every from everybody else was that I was an older female. I don't know if, right. I, but again, I don't know if that was it. It's hard to tell. I can't tell. And who cares? I don't have the answers. <laughs> I'm an even older female now, so. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're so older. <laughs> even now, even from now. when I started this podcast, your podcast <laughs> has aged me six years, Sean. <laughs> Can I quote you on that? Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things of letting your special age for a couple of years. <laughs> Yeah. Seriously, though, is that um, I guess it's the f- the first uh, real talk from Patton. Yeah. Because not only was P- Patton able to weigh in on you, he this year went through his own yeah personal tragedy. Yeah. Um. That was a. Uh, that was so. <laughs> I still feel I, like I, when I see him, I just want to crawl onto the monitor and give him a hug, you know? Right. Um, he, uh, the, the reason they even went out to him and asked him if he wanted to talk about it was because he was the one, he was the reason I had any sort of interest because he re- started retweeting me talking about my dad. Right. And that was back in so 2014. He was, the guy. he was like, check this out, you know? And he turned all of his Twitter people onto whatever I was doing with my yeah. dad. So there were, I think they had always intended to see if he wanted to talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, when they were putting it together before his wife passed away. Right. And he may have even agreed to it before she passed away. That's what I figured based on the timeline. Yeah. And then when the time came to do it, you know, um, he was going through his own, his own grieving. Right. Yeah. So. And now he's- I'm, I, I'm so grateful he still participated you know yeah uh and now he's processing that on stage as well yeah um do you feel like you know i've recently went back and watched uh the first concert film of richard Pryor's, and i feel like he was kind of 
revolutionary in talking about his own tragedies on yeah. stage. Do you feel, does it, did it feel any easier once it came time for you to tape yours, knowing that like people are, audiences are accustomed to this now or? Well, you know, they're going to, they were going to be okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the reason I, I, I came up with this idea was that I would, I would go into it into my regular standup act. Mm-hmm. And then after like two or three jokes, people would start to, you know, be like, uh, you gonna, you gonna, when you're talking about dating again, <laughs> you know, like they would get uncomfortable and, um, you didn't so have that, the, you didn't have the title on the marquee or no before this is just when I'm doing the road oh, okay. and I would talk about it and I had people walk out and people yell at me. And, um, uh, so then I, I, that's when I thought, well, why don't I just do a, a separate show mm-hmm. and, you know, in the title warn people, this is what we're talking about, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know the regular stand up, like a regular club audience. I'm not really sure that they're, you know, I, I don't mean like, it, like in New York and LA, there are comedy fans who are into everything, but then you go to other parts of the country and still people just got free tickets for the show. They got a group on, <laughs> they're just wandering in. They don't know who the headliner, they don't know who anyone is, you right. know, or they seen, they, they seen comedy central, <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, you kind of have to get them too. And sometimes they're not, they're not easy to get, you know, get on board with stuff like that. So if someone comes to see you, Lori Kilmartin on stage, they might get a completely different show if they see you in New York and LA, or if they see you in Kansas city, in Kansas city, they'll get a lot of old stuff and newer stuff that's in the center of it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I will bracket things properly so that if, people start to peel away, I can get them back quickly or I'll make them like me enough where I can get away with this kind of darker stuff that in LA I could open with or in New York I could open with, you know? Right. And now that you're even older. Yes. <laughs> with, with age comes wisdom. <laughs> I've what, really grown a what, lot <laughs> since we started. What kind of uh, inspirational messages or advice do you turn to now to kind of guide you to the next chapter hmm is there is there stuff that you turn to or people who are good for counsel i don't really open up that way um or do you just check uh, but I, I do jackie <laughs> tell me what to do i love i love sitting i, I love comics my age that mm-hmm. are still performing you know i really it, it's like i saw janine Groffalo last night and and i i think like in the early you know, nineties, there was like the alt track and the road track. And I was, I was a road comic, you know, so considered, you know, hacky, whether I was or not, it was like, if you work the road all the time, there, it, it, it definitely felt like this sort of, you know, dividing line and that's just gone now. And so every time I see, you know, like I, I love talking to her just cause our experiences as comics have been very, very different, but she's still performing every night and so am I, and it's nice. And so I, I get inspiration from her, Patton, Mark, Marin, you know, people that are our age, but didn't that keep writing and keep, and keep pushing themselves. You know, I think that's the most important thing. I think, you know, you can get obsessed with, with the audience being really young Mm -hmm. and, and just be like, Oh my God, I'm so much older than these people. And, you know, 
my, my music references aren't the same as theirs and I can't keep up, you know, I can't, you know, pretend I'm super interested in their music unless I genuinely am, but it's mm-hmm. not, it's just not, you know, something I still pursue. And so I think you can, st- as long as you are emotionally honest and write jokes off of that, you can connect with most people no matter where they're coming from, you know? And I, I think, um, and I, so I love comics my age and older that are still doing that. And there's some that aren't. There's some that are still doing the same exact material. <laughs> and the other, like, when I was your age, and it, but it's all that, it's sort of patronize, it, it's just like, oh, you're, you're, you're missing an opportunity to have them just see you as a fellow human. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> They're stuck in their old ways. Yeah. So, uh, if you happen to see a young whippersnapper who wants to get into comedy and- I crush, I try to crush them. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't succeed in crushing them, what what's the first thing you tell them? Um, before or after you try to crush them? Uh, I would say stage time is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the more you get up on stage, the more it feels second nature. And then your brain can really go these amazing places. If you're spending a lot of time being aware of being on stage and nervous, y- you you're barely going to get your jokes out, you know. But once you're comfortable and it's your it's your home then you can riff anything, you know, and then you can kind of do anything, you know. And the only way to get that is to get up on stage every single night for years and years. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think all stage time counts. Mm-hmm. I think open mics in front of comics count because you're practicing thinking out loud. You're practicing talking in front of people that are staring at you, even if that's the next five guys that want to go up and want you to stop talking. <laughs> It's still something, you know. Right, you have to get the words out you of your have, head. You have to get those calluses yeah. somehow. Well, uh, on that note, Lori Kilmartin, if uh, if you are listening uh, to this from New York or L.A., tonight you can probably see Lori Kilmartin on stage. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and if not tonight, then uh, some night Every soon she will night. be in your town. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting with me. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Sean. Bye. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first.